Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Once again, welcome to today's For Your Benefit radio show, today being Federal 6, 2023. I'm Bob Lines, and we have a special guest, Bob Bronstein, federal benefits specialist, all-around good person, but knows all things federal. Good morning, Bob. And how are you, Bob? Good to see you again. Good to hear you again. Well, it's great to be on the air again. And of course, <laughs> we're the, the ship is guided by Andrew Mitchell, <laughs> the best engineer in the business. Anyway, so what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about survivors' benefits. I bet. Yeah. I mean. Okay, so we're going to talk about different things, but. I'm not so sure everybody and some of the people listening are going to go, who wouldn't know that? But over the years, we've probably found a few, a few people that really kind of sort of knew it, some people that didn't know it, but more often than not, they didn't understand the mechanics. So if we're going to be talking about that, survivor benefits. So I guess the first thing out is, has anybody that you've talked to ever considered how much additional income they would need if us were suddenly gone? Now, it's, that's a great way to start off a seminar, but I guess it gets everybody's attention. It does. And it's it's a difficult thing to think about because we think to some extent we're going to be here forever. But, you know, you, survivor benefits. I mean, if there are people left behind, what's the whole purpose of even looking at this? I mean, obviously, we bring certain things to the table as far as income. You know, daily living expenses. So if we're gone, you know, what would the people left behind need? to cover those expenses that were covered by our income. You know, we're gone. Things like housing, utilities, food, other basic expenses, those can be exceptionally, you know, off the charts if it's two incomes that basically funded that. You know, you have a combined lifestyle. Uh, so what does each one of you need uh, to fill the gap if the other one is gone? I mean, if family members truly depend upon your income, and this is something that I think, you know, you and I, Bob, have both recognized wanes with time because as you get older, children leave the nest and there aren't too many dependents. But along the way, particularly in your 30s and 40s, you need to know, you know, you need to be able to answer questions like, well, if I'm married, you know, does my, is my spouse entitled to any kind of survivor annuity for my federal, uh, <clears throat> federal service? I mean, obviously, I'm if I pass away, I haven't retired, I haven't elected anything. So would my spouse be denied that annuity? Uh, what are the survivor entitlements for dependent children? I mean, what comes from FERS or CSRS for dependent kids? What comes from Social Security? Do you have to set these things up? Do they happen automatically? I mean, this is a big question, too, that I always ask federal employees. Do you know that if you were gone, who who basically caters to your survivors, who shepherds those entitlements, who applies for things that they have to. Do you have designations of beneficiary for things like life insurance, TSP in place? You know, you, you really need to understand what these things are. And then you have to sort of consciously, in many cases, you know, set them up. So when, when you talk to a group, um, generally speaking, uh, your subject is front and center at the beginning. Um, you establish uh, the understanding of what the benefits they have are or are or what they aren't no no disrespect to negativity here but if you don't understand them you don't know how to maximize them and um, would you say that's a good percentage of the class yeah i would say absolutely i mean many many folks particularly the younger people even to the mid-career point are investing for the future and they're they're looking at uh, you know how to how to pay the bills and how to successfully leave federal service and go on to other other situations. Uh, but financial planning is something that they may be starting to do and they may have done it on their own. And uh, a financial planner like yourself, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you're talking to somebody, you probably sit down with them and say, all right, like, so, okay, what do you bring to the table financially for your lifestyle? What's your spouse's contribution? What do you, what do you bring, how, what, how is your income combined to, for your quality of life? And you probably, you know, I've heard this before. You'd say, all right, why don't you crosswalk that income? Look at income to outflow. Do an Excel spreadsheet. That's the simplest way to do it. So you know what's coming in, what's going out, what you have left over, what's discretionary. And then, you know, sit down 
and uh, figure out you know what the basic bills are, what you what you'd need to survive alone, and do a separate spreadsheet for each one of you and measure that against what your current obligations are. This is where you can really find out. Ooh, you know, there's some gaps there. Uh, you know, if I'm gone, uh, you're going to need this much from from me to fund to pay the bills and and to live live reasonably well, and vice versa. And then you look in terms of what you can do to fill those gaps through things like life insurance, TSP, what survivor annuities would do. And, and what's the most cost-effective way to do this? I mean, clearly life insurance, federal employees group life insurance, when you're under uh, 35 years of age, uh, the cost of that something called option B, which is up to five times your salary, it's a huge amount to carry. But if you have young kids, you probably want to do that. But it's really cheap. Very, very inexpensive. Conversely, as you age, group life insurance gets more and more expensive. And there might be other ways if you still need to set up survivor entitlements that would be more cost effective. But these are the kinds of things that you need to think about. And the best way to do that is to, you know, pair up with a financial professional who can help you strategize, you know, invest well and to know, know what's on the table uh, and particularly what needs to be on the table if you're gone. All right. So um, you speak the language. I understand some of it. And um, I also understand, um, having done this, as, as you as well, a decent percentage of class doesn't have a full grasp of what their pension slash annuity is and how it coordinates with the other two. Now, CSRSers are, are, are two-pronged fork, and the other one is three. So first, which is bulk, we, we can't ignore the... Uh, 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 the other one, but generally speaking, what what percentage of the um, annual annuity uh, seekers are FERS versus CSRS? Do you have a gut feel? Is it like fifteen percent versus eighty five percent? It's yeah, it, it's probably even less CSRS active employees than that, uh, because that's that's the legacy program. And quite frankly, uh, the only way you can still be CSRS is if you were hired in federal civilian service before the year 1984. I mean, there are, there, there are variances on that, but quite frankly, uh, anyone who came to work after 1983 wound up in FERS. So if you were hired before that, you could still be CSRS, but you're, you've got to be eligible to retire. I mean, think about that. You, you might've been eight, even if you were 18 years of age in 1983, I mean, I don't know, that, that puts you in your late fifties right now. And in CSRS, you only need 30 years of service, so you certainly have that. So you're eligible to go and you could get a pension at any point in time. So there there are too many folks in that category. Most of the people we talk to now are, are FERS. The, the CSRSers are retirees. I think they probably make up the majority of the retirement population at this point. But they're being overtaken by FERS folks. Yeah. I, it's odd, oddly enough, I, I talked to an individual the other day who had over 40 years of service, but he was in FERS. I thought, how can that be possible? How can that be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's right. he actually came to work, I think, in the uh, late 80s, but bought back about six or seven years of military time. So yeah, over 40 years of service. Pretty amazing. Yeah. But the majority is the majority of first folks to answer your question. OK, so we've, we've got these um, I guess it's a three tier product uh, with the majority of folks because we're um, uh, first. Right. So we got Correct. the base annuity. Some people call mm -hmm. it a pension, but you know, pension potato potato. It's you know, it's an annuity, but we can call it a pension too, I suppose. But and then there's the thrift, which has been right. very uh, good for most of the participants, and uh, Social Security. Maybe not for all, but for most, because most of our listeners are going to be uh, not CSRS, right? Correct. Correct. It's a three-legged stool, uh, two defined benefits, uh, pension defined by a formula, cost of living adjustments, uh, a little bit later for the first folks. Social Security is also a, a, a formula-based monthly payment, cost of living adjustments, which have been pretty, you know, pretty decent the last couple of years because of inflation. And then the all-important TSP. And you probably have statistical information on this better than I do, Bob, but uh, you know, if you really want to be successful, you want to be a TSP millionaire, which can add more money to those two defined benefits. And it's, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that about 2% of the uh, the thrift account holders have more than a million bucks. Yeah, accurate. And, and you know, that's, that's serious. 
And I don't know if that percent is going to fly upwards, but it probably will go up a little bit more and then a level off as the CSRS is uh, level off. So these, so these these benefits are very important to employees. But then the question is, you know, what happens to all of those things when they're gone? You know, I mean, think about it. Uh, so you're, you're making all of this money and you pass away. And if you're married with a family, not everybody is, but if you are, you know, what happens? You know, is there a survivor annuity payable to a spouse? Um, if you have dependent children, is there by virtue of the fact that you're in first and you pass away before you retire, do they get survivor annuities? And then in addition to all of that, you probably signed up for, unless you waived it, Federal Employees Group Life Insurance when you came on board and you've been elevating and as time goes by, you get married, you have children and you basically fund those liabilities by having more life insurance, but that's, that's there. And then you have TSP. So, I mean, these things are designed to have a survivor value uh, for people left behind. TSP, you designate beneficiaries, you do the same thing for life insurance, uh, but other things kind of happen automatically. There's, they wouldn't happen automatically, but if you passed away while you're still a federal employee, your, your human resources people would, apply for survivor benefits for your spouse, survivor benefits for dependent children. And these are things that, that would absolutely happen. So it's important to understand that's part of the financial mix if you pass away. It's not just life insurance. It's not just TSP. So it's probably worth talking about some of those in a little bit more depth uh, as, we, as we go you know, through the various things. So the, the types of um, federal survivor benefits would be the TSP. Yep. Right. And it would be, what else? Well, we have TSP. Uh, we have Federal Employees Group Life Insurance, which would be basic life insurance. That's always based on what our salary happens to be raised by a couple of thousand dollars and any optional coverage we have, which can be, as I mentioned before, up to five times salary. That's a major benefit. Uh, life insurance that goes on to beneficiaries is one of those lump sum benefits, but it's tax-free. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong, because you're the tax specialist. Life insurance is tax-free. Yes. But there's, there's another basic employee death benefit that goes to a spouse um, when you pass away. This is in addition to a pension. And the basic employee death benefit is half a year's pay at your current salary. Uh, and added to it this year, like another $40,000 and change, which again is a lump sum payment, but the basic employee death benefit is a taxable benefit as opposed to life insurance. That's automatically going to a, to a spouse. You could pass away with as little as 18 months as a FERS employee. And if you're married, your spouse is entitled to the basic employee death benefit. If you pass away with 10 or more years of service, in addition, to the basic employee death benefit, your, your first service guarantees that they'll get a survivor annuity. That annuity is roughly equivalent, depending upon when you claim it, to 50% of the payable annuity you would have received uh, had you lived and applied for it as a retiree. If you apply for it a little earlier, it's going to be less, it's going to be reduced for age, but eventually it could give you, it could give your surviving spouse an annuity roughly half the size of yours was. So they're not, in essence, cheated out of the annuity because you didn't get to the retirement threshold and actually elect one for them. So that's that's extremely important. Social Security also has survivor benefits. I mean, if there is a, a disparate, if you will, entitlement down the road, if your, if your Social Security work-based entitlement is higher than your spouse's, if when you pass away, and they've already claimed theirs. Uh, they can literally go to Social Security with your death certificate, proof of the marriage, and Social Security would elevate them to the amount that you were receiving from Social Security when you passed away because it's higher than theirs. I mean, and that's they could get that. Sometimes they get less depending upon how old they are when they apply for it. So these are these are all all things that are available. Uh, some of which naturally flow, but some of which may not be there right away because, I mean, if you're, if you're gone in your 40s and your spouse is in your 30s or 40s, uh, Social Security entitlements really aren't there to begin with. You know? So you, you're not even eligible as a widow or widower for a Social Security survivor benefit unless you're 60 years of age. 
uh, children would be eligible. We can talk about those children separately, but I don't want to get too far afield here. Okay. Well, I think this is a great time for a break, right, Andrew? So why don't we take a break and we'll listen to what the sponsor of the show, WEPA, provides them and their group as well as our listening group. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage! WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. Welcome back to For Your Benefit, February 6, 2023. I'm Bob Lines. I guess, am I the moderator? Bob, Bob Bronstein? Yeah, you certainly are. We were, I guess, what we were talking about uh, various benefits that could go on to spouses and children uh, if we're federal employees and we pass away. Maybe it's, it's important to nail down <clears throat> the way some of these things are put in place, Bob. And I think let's talk in terms about designating beneficiaries uh, before we even get into pensions and things like that. We have TSP. We've got life insurance. Uh, if you pass away, there's you know, your, your agency could owe you some money. They probably gonna, they're probably going to owe you at least a final paycheck. Uh, they will owe you unpaid vacation time. There are forms that can be put in place to make certain, uh, and they're called designations of beneficiary for each one of these programs that if you have them filled out, it designates who they are. Now, technically, legally, if you don't designate beneficiaries, that doesn't mean they're going to be cheated out of a benefit. There's a law, or I should say a legal order of precedence that says, let me just use life insurance for an example. If you don't say otherwise, the first person to get your life insurance, if you're married, is going to be your spouse. Uh, Next in line would be your children or their immediate descendants, grandkids. Uh, If one or two, if you don't have a spouse, the kids are, you don't have kids. Next in line would be parents. Uh, And this is uh, interesting. Fourth in line, and many people think this is the overriding uh, aspect of these designations is your will. Do you have a will? That's number four, but that would come after spouse, children, parents. And last but not least, in the absence of the first four, and believe it or not, there are people who aren't married, don't have children, parents are gone, don't have a will, but they might have a brother or a sister or uh, a first cousin, whatever the case might be, next of kin. That's the legal order of precedence. But The important thing to recognize is that even if you don't want to change that order with respect to something like life insurance or TSP, if you don't designate who these folks are, uh, then it's going to be a little bit of a proof of identity situation for them if you pass away. They're going to need to provide information that they're related to you, that they were married to you. It's always better to have the forms filled out. So I thought it might be a good idea at this point, just to jump off to talk in terms of how do you designate beneficiaries for these important benefits, health insurance, life, uh, not health insurance, life insurance, TSP, uh, unpaid compensation, and also contributions to retirement. So I thought we'd go over the forms and where they need to be. Does that sound good? Um, you're the master. I'm the listener. But, uh, <laughs> All right. Let's, let me, let's just let me ask, let me ask hmm? you this about that. Um, of all the folks you deal with, again, at the webinars and in some cases the seminars, but also people that retire and maybe didn't get to uh, um, go to one of these or some friend says, listen, and they, li- they can listen to the pre-recorded show. Uh, I'm not trying to hustle people to listen to our radio show because we don't sell anything. So um, uh, just sell knowledge. Uh, and the price is zero. So um, with a better understanding of, gee, I didn't know that I get these benefits. Um, what do you find maybe the most common where you say to yourself, I thought everybody knew this? 
<laughs> you mean for retirees? Yeah. Yeah, well, they're, they're, you, you know, you're teaching the last course before they go out or a year or two before they go out. And they're, you know, they're aware of certainly yeah. that they get an annuity, but they might not understand the dynamics of stretching out the thrift or taking Social Security. Um, CSRSers are a smaller percent of the class, but again, they're in the class. Um, they have just a different dynamic, uh, their sources of um, retirement. So what do you find the most uh, surprising? The, the challenging thing for many is, uh, I, I guess you would say, a social security claiming strategy. Mm-hmm. And people know they're on track to get that benefit, but uh, there's there's still some misconceptions about what you can do with regard to claiming a benefit based on your spouse. You might recall back in the day, they had these designer strategies called file and, res- file and suspend restricted applications. For example, a spouse with a higher social security entitlement could file and suspend their benefit to sort of let it keep growing. Delayed retirement credit gets bigger and bigger, but they would they would basically apply for it because that made it available to their spouse who may have either not been gainfully employed or was a secondary income earner. And then that person could draw against the spouse. Uh, you can't really do that anymore. That's that's gone. There are other designer strategies, but people people are you know unaware that, for example, if I have filed if I'm filing for my benefit and my spouse has already filed, that I probably won't get a benefit against my spouse if the if my work-based benefit is bigger than half the size of theirs, because the highest payable spouse benefit is essentially half of primary insurance amount. That's the amount that a person claims at full retirement. There's a lot of, <clears throat> I think there are a lot of uh, concerns about when to claim Social Security. People worry about breaking even. You know, if I start my benefit at 62, I'm going to get all of these payments. But if I wait, for example, until 67 years of age, where it's going to be 30% higher, you know, the question is, how many of those payments do I need to get to catch up to the earlier draw? You know, you have the argument with yourself. The break-even point is, what, 78 years of age? <clears throat> is that something that you should really be dwelling on? I mean, is that something you should be concerned about? Or should you be more concerned about, well, I'm going to wait and draw my benefit at 70 to set up the highest possible survivor entitlement for my spouse who doesn't have as high a social security benefit as I do. I mean, all of these things are variables and there's no one size fits all and everybody's situation is different. But I think the biggest challenge or the bigger challenge for most folks is, you know, figuring out how to time that social security payment in concert with the other income. Some financial planners, you may, I'm sure you probably have made this recommendation. You could say, uh, well, you know, you got these this really lousy, uh, low-performing asset here. It's only getting two or three percent interest, but your Social Security between now and the time you hit seventy years of age is going to keep going up. As a matter of fact, if you wait until you're seventy, it's going to be one hundred and twenty-four percent of your full retirement benefit, what they call the primary insurance amount. This is guaranteed. You know, once you if you need the income, draw on something else. So it's. It's a complicated uh, scenario, uh, not only getting online to apply for it, but when to draw it, I think, is the biggest challenge that I think people have, particularly in the webinars and seminars that I've done. So it's, it's a challenge for them to understand. Um, I think the concept is there, but it's sometimes the math. Um, you know, I, I have a normal life expectancy. No, who knows what when we get our calling, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we have a pretty good idea that we have good health, so-so health, or uh-oh, um, better get it all up front. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they have to uh, come to reality over the years. Again, I don't go near what you talk about, but, you know, I'll talk about benefits and they're like, and, no, you know, they, these are mine. And I said, well, you have something called a survivor's benefit here. So, um this is a greater good for all. Um, and, you know, I might do a little, you know, math type thing, you know, this is the growth this way, that way or another, but usually some, you know, somebody doing financial planning or, and, or you talk about it. So, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked, but I'm always a little surprised about, uh, you know, the percentage of the class and you don't really know, but you can kind of tell sometimes that this group doesn't ask any questions. They could be shy or they just they don't want to ask it. Uh, but you try to you try to cover all the bases. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's important to understand that for many people, Social Security is it's more than just what I'm going to get out of it. 
you know, if you're really looking at it from, you know, our, our design perspective today from a survivor benefit, you don't worry about this whole breaking even. You know, if you truly are the higher breadwinner and you want to be certain that the person or persons you, you leave behind are going to be better situated, then you delay. You, you know, it's, you don't need the income. That's that's a major aspect of, of a Social Security claiming strategy. If you don't need the income right away, yeah, why not wait for it? Many people, yours truly included and you, work beyond 62 years of age. And when you work, you know, this this journey from 62 to now, uh, I guess it's 67 for most people. That's called the full retirement age. You're, you're only allowed to earn a certain amount of work income uh, and still be able to draw your Social Security benefits. So sometimes that decision is made for you. You're still working. You still have a reasonable amount of gainful employment income. And we're not talking about anything other than work income. But that that interferes with uh, Social Security payments. So right now, the exempt amount of allowable amount of work income, if you're drawing Social Security at the same time and you started early, just a little over $21,000 a year, which wouldn't be hard to do for most folks. So the suggested strategy is don't claim it as long as you have that kind of work income coming in. And eventually the work income examination goes away. You hit 67 and that goes away. You can earn a million dollars and you can draw your Social Security. So as far as claiming is concerned, sometimes that decision is made for us because we're, we're still doing things like working. But, you know, from, from that standpoint, too, once you hit full retirement age, if you need the income, you can start bringing it into the household with no, no worry about work income. But if you don't need it, from a survivor standpoint, if you're trying to set up the most robust payment, I mean, let's say your spouse is getting $2,000 a month Social Security and yours is 3500 You know, what it means is that if you pass away before your spouse, your spouse is eligible in most situations, depending on age. But if they're old enough, they could go from that $2,000 to the 3500 if you pass away. So <clears throat> if one of the major strategies for survivor benefits creation is to just say, look, whether I break even or not is immaterial to me. I want to make sure that the person I love, the person I'm married to uh, is able, in some cases, even domestic partners, depending on the state or those kinds of things can be recognized through social security. I just want this person to be well off and, and, and a good component of this is going to be my social security. So I'm simply going to wait for it. And I don't need it along the way because I'm still working or I have other income that I can draw on. So again, looking at social security from the survivor perspective of today's uh, radio show, I think uh, that's the people who are claiming later could be doing it purely for survivor benefit purposes. You know, whether they're going to live long enough to get more out of social security. I mean, breaking even around 82, if you wait until 70, that may not, that's not a major consideration. And it's certainly not with respect to survivor benefits. Okay, great. We've got some great questions here. Uh, I bet you crafted them uh, with Andrew's help. And then anyway, so um, there's six and let, let me, the first two, I think I can put together. What types of federal survivor benefits would go to your loved ones if you pass away? And the second piece of that is how can you be sure the benefits you have planned, elected for your survivors will be enough? So I guess the first question is who gets what and when, and is it going to be enough? So, You'd say, I'm doing financial planning before I even retire. Here you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's let's nail those down. <clears throat> I mentioned it. And we're talking to people who may be still in the active workforce as well as retirees. If you have federal employees group life insurance, uh, you designate beneficiaries for that benefit through a form. It's a standard form. The standard form number is 2823. Standard form 2823. Active federal employees need to have this form on file in their official personnel files. They're called electronic official personnel folders, EOPFs. If you're retired, <clears throat> OPM needs to have a copy of the SF-2823. And this basically would tell OPM or would tell your agency if you're still working. If you pass away, this is who gets your life insurance. Uh, for active employees... One of the things that could, happen, that could happen if they pass away before they retire, while they're still in the employment of an agency, it could be on a weekend. You don't have to. This doesn't have to happen while you're working. Your final pay. You know, you have a paycheck. If you pass away, there's at least another paycheck or a half of one that's going to you, and there's probably a large accumulation of unpaid vacation time. 
people bring over their 240 hour leave ceilings every year and they've got user lose leave. I mean, what if you pass away and you had 350, 400 hours of annual leave that's just sitting there? <clears throat> this There's a form, standard form 1152. This is only active employees who fill this out uh, that needs to also be on file in your EOPF. The standard form 1152 designates beneficiaries for what's known as unpaid compensation, your last paycheck, unpaid vacation time, unreimbursed travel expenses. This is there's an interesting thing on this one, too, because every time you go to a new agency while you're working, many of us work in more than one federal agency, you fill out a new standard form 1152, which once again has to be in your EOPF to be current. And that's because if you leave an agency, they no longer have the responsibility to pay unpaid compensation. You've left their their service. But if you've only worked in one agency for 35 or 40 years, you want to be careful who's on this forum. It could be somebody you don't even know. And I've had people actually come back to me and say, you know, I had to fill out a new one because it was an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend or somebody they didn't know. Nevertheless, once you leave federal service, this form has no validity. There's one other form that's worth talking about too. Uh, standard form. This is a standard form for FERS 3102, standard form 3102, 3102. And for CSRS, it's standard form 2808. This is a little one, a little hard to explain. If you were to pass away, and let's say you have absolutely no survivor annuitants. I'm not married. Uh, I don't have any dependent children. You know, I had kids, but they're all grown up now. If I pass away, there is no payable survivor annuity to anybody. And I haven't even started my annuity. I haven't even retired yet. Or maybe I have, but I haven't really. In most situations, we're looking at people who are just retiring or haven't retired yet. You put money into, every two weeks, TSP. You make conscious contributions to TSP. There's a certain amount of income that's pulled out of your pay every two weeks for Social Security. And what people don't focus on is the fact that there's also money coming out of their pay every two weeks to fund their pensions, CSRS, FERS. Many people, most people in CSRS are paying a fairly big chunk, 7% of their income every two weeks. And the FERS folks, if they were hired before 2013, are putting in much less, 0.8 of 1%. But needless to say, this is what you're putting into the retirement fund. You're doing it with taxable income. What would happen if you passed away and all that money you put into the system is not going to produce an annuity for you or anyone else? You know, there's you're not married, don't have dependent children. Well, what these forms do, again, in FERS, Standard Form 3102, in CSRS, Standard Form 2808, would designate in a lump sum the contributions that came out of your pay throughout your career that went into this pension fund, for lack of a better term, also known as the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund. So those that's where these monies would go. Now, this typically these forms typically have no value down the road, because when you finally retire after a few years of getting pension payments, because OPM uses the money you put in the system first, then these these forms no longer have any significance. But it's a good idea to have them filled out just in case. Standard forms, all of those standard forms belong in your EOPF if you are a working employee. Uh, if you're retired, these forms migrate, with the exception of the standard Form 1152, these forms will be sent over to the Office of Personnel Management and the 2823 for life insurance and the two forms I just talked about will be maintained by OPM. Once again, the 2808 uh, for contributions to the retirement system and the 3102, uh, those will eventually be shredded by OPM because uh, at the first series of payments, use your money, et cetera. Those, uh, there's one more I want to talk about before we take a, you know, a break from designations of beneficiary. <clears throat> this is important. Everything done at TSP now, the Thrift Savings Plan, is done on online. You, you set up a, quote, my account with a personal identification number. And if you haven't already filled out what is known as the TSP3, which is a designation of beneficiary for your thrift plan, you need to do so electronically. Or if you want to change it, you have to do so electronically. All of the forms, everything we used to do with TSP are now done 
electronically on their platform. Equally important to have a TSP3 on file. That's not in your EOPF. That has to be on file at the thrift board. Once again, these tell OPM or your agency or TSP who is going to get what. And it makes certain that for these very important benefits, uh, there's no additional steps to identify who the people are. Even if you're going through the legal order of precedence to set them up, make sure you identify these folks, who they are, put as much demographic information in as possible so that if you pass away, the money is coming from these very important sources of income can be essentially dispersed to them as quickly as possible because they're, they're going to need it. Very good. Time to take a break and let the listeners hear about what NITP can do for them. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty. Welcome back to the final leg of today's For Your Benefit radio show. We're talking with Bob Bronstein, federal benefit specialist, uh, teaches at many of the agencies. And uh, we, we learned an awful lot in a short period of time. So, Bob, looking at the clock, um, what do we got, Andrew? 12 minutes? Andrew says 12 minutes left. Okay. Let's go over a couple of very important benefits. Uh for CSRSN, for his employees, I'm talking about married folks, <clears throat> whether you're employed or whether you're retired. If you pass away and you're married, your spouse is going to be getting what's known as a survivor annuity. And this is, uh, if you passed away as a federal employee, CSRS, because you haven't retired yet, there's nothing to elect with regard to this. Your spouse would s- essentially get a pension equivalent to 55% of what your payable annuity would have been on the day you passed away as if you had retired. So if that were like, if your annuity would have been $60,000 on that day, then your spouse would get an annuity equivalent to 55% of that, $33,000. This is automatic. And who would apply for it? Well, again, if you pass away in service, then your servicing human resources activity would apply for the death benefits and work with your survivors. So that's important. It's important for them to know that. Now, of course, if you go ahead and retire, you know, this is a conscious election on your part, uh, whether you're CSRS or FERS. And the FERS survivor benefit for a spouse is a combination of two things. It's a survivor benefit equivalent to 50% of what your payable annuity would have been, plus what I mentioned before, that basic employee death benefit, which is half a year's pay, plus this year another $40,279.37, which is a lump sum payment. These are things that, again, if you pass away, would be shepherded to your survivors by the the servicing HR office. If you pass away as a retiree, remember when you retire, you have a conscious responsibility to elect survivor benefits for your spouse. If you've elected the maximum survivor benefit and your CSRS for your spouse, you pass away, they'll receive 55% of the amount of annuity you would have otherwise gotten. I had a $60,000 annuity, but when I elected it, I'm only getting a little over 54,000 because I I take a reduction when I elect that. But if I pass away, my spouse gets an annuity equivalent to 55% of 60,000. And in FERS, the annuity is a little bit smaller, but if you pass away, your spouse is entitled to an annuity that's 50% the size of what your unreduced annuity would have been. Uh, That's important. These are things you elect on your retirement application when you retire. Now, what's also important to understand is that survivor benefits, particularly for those who are married to non-federal people, you're, you're electing survivor benefits on your pension, on your application to retire. 
You might be doing that for replacement income, but there's a hidden reason, particularly if you're married to a non-federal employee. One of the operative requirements for you to have health insurance when you retire from federal service is to have been under your health insurance plan for at least five years, not plan, but under the federal employee's health benefits program. And then it flows with you into retirement at the same cost. Now, spouses don't have to meet that criteria. Uh, you bring them under your plan when you get married, or maybe you've been married since you've been a federal employee. But if you're married to somebody who's not a federal employee, they must have some survivor annuity that you elect to continue the health insurance. So that's a hidden reason. I mean, you could sit down and think, well, good grief, my spouse doesn't need a survivor annuity from me. I mean, that's going to reduce my pension by 5% or 10%. We don't need to do that. We want more money to live on. But you have to be thinking in terms of what's the other reason that you elect survivor benefits. And that's to maintain continuity of health insurance beyond your lifetime for your spouse. So that's an important thing to recognize. <clears throat> so uh, these are elected benefits when you retire. They happen automatically. One thing we haven't talked about are dependent children. <clears throat> dependent children are also eligible for survivor annuities, and they are automatically paid. Uh, FERS employees with as little as 18 months on the job who have dependent children, children under the age of 18, not married, up to the age of 22, not married, still in undergraduate school, or they could be permanently disabled before they turned age 18. These survivor annuities are payable to them through OPM. And there are also survivor benefits payable to dependent children based on your social security benefit. And that's, that's an even larger amount. Children can get, if you pass away, an amount equivalent to 75% of your projected social security full retirement benefit. That's a a large amount of money, uh, as long as they're dependent. And they're dependent for Social Security roughly up to age uh, 18, maybe a little bit beyond, but they're still in high school. So these are things that we, we consciously determine our kids and our spouse is going to get. And then it's a matter, and kind of circling back, Bob, to what we said before, and I think you've said this to me once before, what you have is what you need, but is what you need enough. Then you look and you think in terms of, all right, I'm gone. My spouse certainly brings a lot of money to the table, but maybe not enough to fund the lifestyle. So what can, is this going to be sufficient to fill that gap? And at the same time, if I have dependent children, launch them into adulthood, pay for college, a whole variety of things like that. So you really you need to sit down with a financial planner and look at these benefits in their totality and how they will continue to help your spouse. Again, I realize I'm, I'm only talking in terms of married people here, but whatever the situation might be, if you have people who depend upon your life or theirs, it's important to note that when you're gone, they're going to need replacement income. What's the most cost-effective way to do it? Where will it come from? Uh, survivor annuity benefits go to spouses and children. <clears throat> Other people who might depend on us can't get those benefits, but they could become a beneficiary of your TSP a TSP beneficiary. They, they could get that in a lump sum or they could, spouses can even get beneficiary participant accounts. And uh, it's just important to understand how all of this fits together were you to be gone for the folks who depend on some or a majority of your income for their you know, quality of life. Wow. <laughs> now, Bob, um, you, you do this radio show, right, with, with us, right? Yes. And I don't know if you do any others. Um, point being is, how does somebody contact you should they have questions? Well, you can actually reach me through my NITP email address, <clears throat> which is my first initial R, standing for Robert, just like yours. Last name is Braunstein, B-R-A-U-N-S-T-E-I-N. I repeat, R, B R A U N. S-T-E-I-N at N-I-T-P-I-N-C dot com. Bronstein at N-I-T-P-I-N-C dot com. And if you uh, send me an email question, I'll get back to you as fast as I can. I love questions. I love keeping the relationship alive. And it keeps me uh, well honed 
in the craft. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I bet you get a lot of emails um, um, too because um, you deal with a subject that all the listeners, retired or you know in place, um, need to know. Um, and I, I think we've heard it all, but I'm always surprised sometimes with, I didn't know that, or I thought everybody knew that. <laughs> so true, so true. It's and again, you just. Everybody's life circumstance is different. Uh, you know, life comes at you fast. That's the whole point of survivor benefits, because if you, you never really know what's going to happen. <clears throat> Live in the moment, enjoy your life, plan as much as you can. But planning sometimes is foiled by just circumstances. Things happen. So it's, it's important to know what your down the road entitlement is going to be should you continue to live. And I hope everybody lives long and prospers. Uh, but by the same token, <clears throat> if you're gone, you have to do some contingency planning and we all, we love our families and many when children launch successfully and we pay down the bills and get rid of the mortgages and all of the other stuff. Terrific. Probably don't need that much in the way of survivor benefits. And I think there are quite a few folks who are retired who might be listening in today who are in that situation. I mean, why, why be laden with large amounts of expensive life insurance when those who depend upon your life for theirs don't depend on that anymore. They're, it's time for us to start enjoying some of that money that we were other, otherwise spending. But then again, you know, you want to think in terms of what could happen to you. And you might want to invest in something like long-term care insurance. If you're uh, you freed up some of those premiums, you no longer have to pay for the benefits for your survivors. But it's a migrating paradigm. You know, what you need to provide for survivors is a different thing at various stages of life. Usually when you're getting close to retirement or a little bit beyond retirement, the critical need for survivor benefits outside of for your spouse uh, diminishes considerably. And now you talk about long-term care. Um, years ago, I was, you know, I thought I would be a descendant of Methuselah and I'd live forever. Um, uh, and that wasn't exactly true. And somebody um, introduced me to somebody that really knew their stuff about long-term care. And of course, you know, I know everything, which I don't. Um, and uh, believe it or not, I said, I think I'll um, indulge. You know, no, I didn't jump into the deep end, but enough to say, well, what if, or something that carries from day one to day two, but more importantly, what if something needs to be carried uh, longer than uh, uh, we anticipated? So with that, I mean, neither one of us are financial planners, but I think we both sing, sing the same song, know your benefits, maximize your benefits, but you need to understand the cash flow. In other words, which do I take from first? And that's not today's show. Do I take it from this one, that one? And I would say most people probably would take the annuity. But the next question is, do they take Social Security or do they take it? Or do I take a little bit out of both? And the answer is, I don't know, because you got to look at the cash flow. So true. So 100% true. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, markets are kind of weird right now. And you know this better than I do. But despite some of the challenges facing that all important social security benefit by law, it's guaranteed to go up roughly 5% per year in your journey from 62 to 67 then 8% per year until you're 70. And that's guaranteed by the government. So, you know, if you have assets that aren't performing that well, I'm sure you would advise people to say, well, why don't you draw on that, that lousy performer here for a while, if you need the income. And by the way, if you don't need the income, don't draw on anything. Just, you're, you're just fine. Just let it keep growing. I mean, these are, you know, again, I use the term over and over again, or the terms that one size doesn't fit all. It really, it depends on where you are, what you need, and what those who depend upon you need if you were gone. Okay, one final question is probably um, not answered quickly. What do you find overall that people are unaware of? You know, they're aware they're going to get this thing called a pension and annuity, I would say, for 98% of the population. Um, but they're not understanding the dynamics with more people being FERS between accessing the thrift and or um, an IRA and one to claim Social Security. Now, this is a pretty rough question to ask. Yeah. Two minutes left to go. But let's finish it up with that. Yeah, I think uh, people are rather shocked and amazed that um, they can tap into their TSP when they separate, even though they're not 59 and a half. And this has to do with uh, it, the fact that the TSP is technically your last 
401k type plan in your employment, you have access to it. If you had, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this too, tax wise, Bob. But if you had some uh, prior retirement accounts, uh, you'd probably still have to wait till 59 and a half to draw from those. But the TSP will let you draw as long as you're at least 55 when you when you separate uh, without penalty. Obviously, you have to pay taxes. Many people don't know that. Uh, it's even earlier for people who are retiring in law enforcement. Again, you know, whether you're going to actually do it or not, that's that's important. Uh, it's, a, it's an important consideration because that money is technically available to you right away. Uh, there's there, there are always a lot of uh, eyebrows raised when we talk about the supplemental income that OPM gives to first pensions for people who are retiring prior to being eligible for Social Security. The annuity supplement, which bridges you to that benefit. People confuse it with Social Security. They think it's going to affect their Social Security when, in fact, it isn't. Um, it's extra money that OPM pays you as a bridge, uh, and it has really nothing to do with Social Security other than the fact that it's an extrapolation of what you can't get from Social Security payable by OPM. So those are uh, those are things that people find out a lot about, and uh, those okay are questions. Less than thirty seconds. Fire away. Okay. <laughs> the point of all of this is to, to be in a position to know what your income is, what you bring to the table and how what its impact is on others who depend upon you and therefore set up what's necessary at any given point in time to be certain that those left behind when you're gone will be able to pay the bills and equally important, enjoy the same quality of life. And that's the whole point of survivor benefits. Okay, we're all enjoying your um, 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 discussion today. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks for keeping us on track. And Bob, let's do it again soon. Sounds good, Bob. All righty. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.